Good morning. How good is it to sing? I uh, masked sing. Who's woo woo wooing? There's, uh, I like, um, like John, I did have this image of masked singers and I thought the Phantom of the Opera, but of course his mask doesn't cover his nose or his mouth, so you know, he's out, he's not allowed to sing. How good is it? I do acknowledge those of you who are watching around the world that uh, things are not always as uh, easy where you are and we, we do um, pray for you and we do think of you often as we are experiencing some slight easing. We think also of Auckland, who today is going into lockdown again. How many of you enjoy a good game of table tennis? Right. I used to play as a kid. I learned to play at our dining room table, which is quite large, and so therefore we put a net across it and learnt to play. I played against my dad and my sisters, and I enjoyed it more and more as I learned and developed my skills, but also as my arms grew longer. Always helpful in a game of table tennis. Now, as I won, this is very sad, as I began to win more and more often, my sisters stopped wanting to play. Oh, it's very sad, isn't it? It may have been because I was a sore loser and a worse winner. I don't know, remember back to your 10-year-old self and maybe you can relate. For me, a good game of table tennis was one in which I hit every shot just perfectly and it landed just on the edge of the table and my opponent did not. A good game of table tennis is one in which I beat my sister by such a huge margin that she almost began to cry. You can all feel sorry for my sister, but she get her own back, trust me. Every time I won, I felt brilliant, I felt successful. Queen would start playing in my head, we are the champions, you know how it goes. My dad and sisters were total losers. I felt great, the greatest of all time. I felt successful. And then one day, I went to the officer training college. I went to the Bible College of the Salvation Army and the assistant training principal and the education officer both taught me a very important lesson. I was not the greatest of all time. Can you imagine the shock? There's a reason why we don't have a table tennis table here at Wollongong Salvos, even though we probably have the room for it. And that is because both the assistant training principal and the education officer from my time of college have retired here. And it's a lesson I remember all too well. Well, today we are continuing our look at Jesus' message to the crowds of people on the side of the mountain called the Sermon on the Mount. It is the foundational teachings of Jesus. In fact, a few verses on from where we read, uh, where Rachel read for us this morning, a few verses on, Jesus will say things like, if you build your life on these principles, it'll be like a house built on solid rock. And if you don't, if you build your life on anything else, 
It'll be like soft, shifting sand. So to get us thinking about what Jesus is actually trying to say here, I want to talk about success. What makes you feel like a success? Be it in table tennis or, or anything else. What makes you feel successful? What makes you feel like you are winning at life? I know some of you are probably sitting there saying, I don't feel like much of a success. I don't feel like I'm particularly winning at life. I know, I get that that's the circumstances for some people, but imagine, what did or does or would make you feel like a success in life? Maybe it was a school class where you beat the rest of your classmates at some sort of assessment or task. Anyone have that experience? Or maybe you felt successful if you could, or maybe you would feel successful if you could beat your wife at a park run on Saturday morning. Although I never have and I never will because the law says you're not allowed to beat your wife. Maybe you would feel successful if you could get a promotion ahead of your work friends and mates. Maybe you would feel successful when your business takes off. Or maybe you would feel successful and feel like you're winning at life when you make a post on Facebook and it kind of goes a little bit viral and you get all these likes. It's very exciting, winning at life. The interesting thing is, the reality is that in our most basic human moments, we judge our success by comparing ourselves with others. We look at others, we compare our skills, our performance, our fitness, our whatever, and we use that comparison to determine whether or not we're successful. We judge ourselves against others to figure out whether or not we are really winning at life, don't we? Now, you know what really helps in this game that we play? You know what really helps? in our darker moments, our more, our more human moments, you know what makes us really feel like success? When other people stuff up, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Have you ever had that experience where someone flies past you on the highway, you're doing the speed limit and they're going way over, it just bugs you. And then a couple kilometres down the road, they're pulled up by a policeman, everyone have that experience? How good does that feel? Feels great. If you're having a bad day and as a, as a parent you're struggling a little bit and you go down to the supermarket and you have to buy some stuff and you see another parent with their kid and the kid's throwing a tantrum in the supermarket, it just makes you feel better about your day, doesn't it? There are more people laughing about that than the speeding thing, that's interesting. That's how we play, it makes us feel better. We compare Right, so the next level in this discussion, in our understanding of this human trait, is to understand that not only do we subconsciously judge and assess other people, figuring out if we are the winner in life compared to them, but we also rig the game. Did you know this? Have you thought about this? We discover this really early in life, really early as toddlers even, that we can rig the game. Because basically, we have the ability to lie to ourselves. We can turn a blind inner eye to 
to our own faults and failings and exaggerate or magnify the faults and failings in other people. And you know what? It actually makes us feel better about ourselves. It makes us feel more like we're winning our life. We can rig the game. Winner of life by emphasising the failures of others and ignoring our own. Now this, this is exactly the mindset that Jesus is addressing in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. He presents a radical alternative to this game. Instead, He gives us an alternative view of success. Let me read to you little bits of this. Seven, uh, verse, chapter 7, verse 1, from the message, don't pick on people, jump on their failures or criticise their faults. So, let me give you a bit more of a wider context of what is going on for Jesus and the people that He's talking to. In the first century of Israel, morality, or the ability to keep God's law, which is the Ten Commandments and the 613 or so other rules and laws, all noted down and written down for us in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy and Numbers, all those rules and laws became, it's, the religious code of Israel became like a scorecard for people. People would play this game of winning at life by pointing out the faults and failings of others according to the laws that they had for life. So, in people's heads, they kind of had this scorecard, you know, if someone's caught in a lie, they'll look at that and they'll say, oh, that person, down 10 points. Someone caught working on the Sabbath, down 25 points. Someone caught in adultery, down 100 points. Caught wearing a shirt made of two different kinds of fabric, five points. Caught planting the wrong crops in the wrong field in the wrong year, minus 10 points. Like They would keep track and keep score of their friends, neighbours. People would go around judging and assessing people against this law card, the scorecard, because it would make them feel better about themselves. So, Jesus says, don't do that. If you play that game, it will come back and bite you on the, well, you know. In the message version of the Bible, he makes up a great word to describe it. He says, that critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. Boomeranging. And the reality is, what Jesus is trying to say, is that even though we do it, you can't actually rig the game. You can't actually rig the game. If we play this comparison game, if we value ourselves against the performance of others, if we then try and rig that comparison, if we lie to ourselves about our own faults and failings and judge others harshly to make ourselves feel better, Jesus says we will be judged. Look at what He says from, uh, we'll read that text again from the NIV, do not judge or you too will be judged. I'll point out something interesting here. Jesus doesn't say, God will do the judging, simply says judgment will occur and that was deliberate because in this case, God doesn't necessarily need to be involved. Lying to yourself about your faults and failings is kind of possible but there is always going to be a deeper part of you, a more core part of you, your heart and soul and conscience that knows the truth. 
And that part of you, that honest, unmasked part of you, will judge you far more harshly than it ever does someone else. You ever had that experience where you're lying alone at night, whatever? You're thinking through what really happened? You remember what you're really like? For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged in that. And with the measure you use, it will be measured on you. The measure you use, you will use that just as much on yourself. Jesus says, if you continue to play this game of I'm winning at life by comparing yourself with others and your family and your friends and your neighbours, people in church, in your street or on social media, it will boomerang and you will suffer the consequences of your own critical spirit. No one else needs to be involved. So Jesus continues with his sermon. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Specks and planks, fair enough. Jesus was a carpenter, right? So I, I, I think he's pretty familiar with imagery like this. Planks and sawdust. I'd be pretty surprised if Jesus never got any sawdust in his eyes, right? You're not going to be a carpenter up to the age of 30 and not find yourself with sawdust in your eyes at some point or other, so I think he knows what he's talking about. But what's actually behind this imagery? What's actually behind the specks and planks and smears, right? Let's have a look at how Eugene Peterson in the message interprets what Jesus says, given the context that we've just been talking about. It's easy, this is verse 7, verse, chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer, sneer with an N, on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? Jesus says, do you really think you can get away with calling out someone with a smudge on their face when you have a sneer of contempt on yours? Smudges and sneers, not smears. So let me talk about a sneer of contempt for a second. Contempt doesn't mean you hate someone. Contempt doesn't mean you dislike them, necessarily. Contempt means you don't really care about them. Contempt means you consider them literally worthless, worth less than you, beneath your notice. That's what contempt does. It dismisses a person's value and worth and writes it down. It strips a person of dignity, worth and value. Jesus is teaching us this. If we play the comparison game, the I'm winning at life game, we are, if, if we're tearing others down, if we're secretly celebrating their failures, we are really treating a person with contempt. And that contempt is a far bigger issue for you in your life than anything else that's going on in someone else's. Isn't that interesting? It's like a plank in your eye compared to the speck in someone else's. And eventually, it'll boomerang and bite you in the butt. So, as we finish this morning, what do we do with this? How do we remove the plank from our own eye? How do we do what Jesus says and wipe the ugly sneer off your own face 
and then you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbour. Well, like many of the incredibly radical and alternate things that Jesus taught, the answer is simple, but the execution of the answer, the putting of that answer into practice, will take a lifetime. Here's the answer, are you ready? Stop playing the game. Don't play the comparison game at all. Don't judge someone else's worth or value by their actions, ideas or circumstances. And don't judge your own value by your actions, ideas and circumstances. Don't measure your worth or value against anyone or anything. Stop playing the game because it doesn't matter how well you play the game, you will never win. Comparison and judgment will never lead you to lasting feelings of success. The only way to win is to avoid the game. It is the alternate win. Sounds simple, doesn't it? It's easier said than done. As we noted right at the beginning of the message, this comparison thing, it's basic human nature. From the time we were toddlers, we begin to play the game. And it's a very hard thing to break. But Jesus did something to help us. Something incredible, something wonderful, something powerful. The only real way to stop playing the game by knowing is by knowing that your value and worth comes from within, not from any comparison with others. We believe that a few years after He gave this message, Jesus, God in the flesh, died on a cross for you and for me. Your circumstances, your choices, your ideas, your actions, None of that can change the fact that God of the universe died for you. None of that can change the fact that God considered you worthy enough that He was willing to die for you. Now, if God is willing to die for you, if you are of infinite worth to God, then why do you need to compare yourself to anyone else? What more do you want? What more are you looking for? We're going to take some time of prayer. A response time, a time of reflection, a time in which these prayer places are open. If you would like to step out of your comfort zone and step into a place of prayer, a specific place, a place where thousands of people have knelt over the years. If you would like to know again and afresh the love of God expressed through Jesus on that cross, then I encourage you to come and pray. We have officers and pastoral people who can pray with you if you'd like. You're invited to step forward.
to kneel before God and pray. The, the only thing we ask is that you bring a mask and wear a mask while praying close to somebody. Maybe you would like to sit and reflect in your chair. Maybe you would like to stop for a second and allow the Spirit of God to bear witness deep in your soul that you are loved by Almighty God. Because you see, that realization tends to drift and diminish unless we take the time to be with God and allow Him to remind us. So maybe you would like to sit today and reflect on that truth that you are ultimately and absolutely loved by God. No comparison adds to that. No comparison can subtract from that. Maybe you would like to, at home, allow the Spirit of God to reveal those times in your life when you have had a critical spirit, where you have fallen into the temptation of judging yourself against others. Or perhaps where you've judged someone unfairly and celebrated their failures. So I'm going to open it up in prayer. And as we do that, we're going to sing an old hymn. And can it be? We are going to sing, but you need to have your mask on, of course. Perhaps as we sing, you might like to reflect and pray or sing along as well.
you like to stand. I'm going to read the third verse and then we'll sing together the final verse. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed followed thee. Sing with me. Verse 4. Now, no condemnation, now I dread. 